I've been thinking a lot lately about the concept of point of view. There's this idea of of time that we classify as binary and, and moving forwards or backwards, at least in perspective. But time also has an emotional aspect, which which I consider vertical. Now just just bear with me. I mean, when we were younger. Uh, doing something that was uncomfortable seemed longer than, than other things. Actually, it doesn't have to be when you were younger. I think that applies now, like wherever you are in your life. It applies to me. Sometimes things just just stretch on forever when you're doing something that you don't want to do. And you can apply that to anything. You know, I, I've been told uh, by, by someone that... Uh, that she was going to love me forever, which turned out to be untrue. I don't think she lied. I think she meant it. I guess this is part of me considering the notion of, well, okay, so now what's the point of, you know, and pretty much most things uh, that I, I, I have discourse with or that I strive for. I don't know if that's age or uh, complacency, compliancy. I don't know what that is. Um, The great thing about experience is you know what you can expect. You know, um, the bad thing is your brain becomes a critic of your journey. You know, I don't. I, I, I do think about not living in New York and um, and I think about persevering and resisting these signals in my life and avoiding things and I think about the concept of compromise I remind myself that just like any compromise that nothing lasts forever it's all perspective and, you know, as I said, before, you know, many times on this show, uncomfortable situations and occurrences and events help us grow, help us learn. But what do we learn? What does it prepare you for? More uncomfortable situations? I guess that's one way to look at it. But then again, it's all perspective. So whatever you're doing right now, if you're on a treadmill or if you're on a subway or you're driving around in your car or you're at your desk pretending to look busy, your, your brain is actually listening to these words. Thank you, by the way. But also simultaneously, you're, you're thinking about something else. Um, am I running, jogging fast enough on this machine? Uh, what do I need to get on my way home? Tonight, uh, what, what am I going to eat for lunch? Uh, you know, I got this email last night from from this person. Yeah, fuck him. And it, but if we just realize that it's all perspective, it's all our brain going in all these different directions. Where we're just sitting there, or we're just running there, or we're just driving, or we're just doing this thing. That our opinion doesn't matter. So it's just this thing that we're doing. It's all perspective. Anyway, 
my guest today is uh, very reflective, and we talk a lot about perspective. Um, it was a great conversation. So just to frame this, I worked at a nonprofit, which uh, I may have mentioned this before, and um, uh, Nikki was a student there. And I, I knew right off the bat when I, when I met her that uh, she was a very exceptional human being. And I was right. So I don't work there anymore, and she's graduated from the program, and here we are, and we're, we're friends now. And that's, that, to me, is very rewarding. So without further delay, uh, my wonderful conversation with uh, Niata, also known as Nikki. You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Yo, you're listening to Vandal Charles Curious World Podcast. This is crazy. martial arts, I believe around 5th or 6th grade. I joined Taekwondo and I did it for 6 years, about 6 days a week. So it was just something I felt I was married to. And that's really the only way I could describe it because after 6 years of doing it, I kind of left it in. It's always been something I really loved doing. Then I did Capoeira for, um, I don't remember how long, maybe 6-7 months. Um, and that was really different from uh, Taekwondo, but somewhat similar because your know, cobweb is very free flowing and gives you a lot of freedom uh, with the different movements. So, for, for people listening that may not be as familiar with either one, like how would you describe the differences? I think um, when I think about Taekwondo, I think more of a go almost like a military style. There's a lot of hierarchy. Uh, in terms of the way the instruction goes, your interaction with your classmates is different. Um, and it's from Korea. That's where it was founded. And I believe it was founded in the 1950s. And they try to mix the different type of martial arts already existing into one. Um, and with Capoeira, it's, it has more of an underground feel to it. It, it started in Brazil. and. Um, this was practiced during when uh, slavery still existed and in Capoeira there's more of a sense of community and um, it, you know turned to uh, it's uh, so the way it was it got started was um, um, I believe um, uh, the slaves at some areas wanted to um, start practicing to fight um, and in order to do so, they had to hide. So they kind of turned it into a dance. So the owners wouldn't really know that they were practicing to fight. So it would be done in circular formation with groups of uh, people um, kind of closing the circle. They would use music instruments. And there's a lot of uh, almost dance-like move, a lot of um, like a swaying kind of movements to it. And there's a lot of aspects of gymnastics incorporated. And the way Capoeira practice today, and there, you get different styles, like in every other martial arts, you get different school of thought on how to do it. Um, but there's, I would say the main difference is really um, the purpose of it 
and um, the cup weather is more almost it's more freeing than taekwondo. It's more of an opinion, but that's how I see. Yeah, um, cup weather seems to me like it's almost like you said it's very rhythmic. It's almost mm -hmm. like a dance. Yeah. Um, but you you got you said you got more of a sense of a community studying that. Oh, definitely. Um, I think uh, in Capoeira, I didn't feel a sense of hierarchy. They did have rankings, but it wasn't uh, as a means of controlling or... Uh, in Taekwondo, I felt that was more of a control to things. Uh, even with the movements, you get control. It's very, you know, rigid. Um, you don't really get that free-flowingness to it, where else in Capoeira, it's anything kind of goes. Um, it's uh, the way I practice, there was no contact, and I believe in most Capoeira schools, they don't practice contact, so you kind of uh, hit close enough to hit the person, but not necessarily so. It's like mm. you're dancing with the other person, um, and there's a lot, a lot of clapping, a lot of singing, uh, and for me that felt very spiritual, like the music, the clapping, the movements. And you studied this in New York? or In New York. I studied capoeira initially at my high school. There was um, a semester where it counted as a PE credit. And then I really liked the instructor and he taught at PMT Studio near Union Square. So I started attending classes there and it was with all of my classmates who were older there. Um, and it was just a really amazing experience. So, uh, yeah, I, the, the impression that I have always gotten with uh, different uh, martial arts is, um, you know, the, the, there's this persona that they all get and they attract a certain type of uh, personality. Like Capoeira, seemed, as I always said, seemed to me that people who are typically very um, energetic and playful and social Mm -hmm. Taekwondo has always been like people who are very, um, very driven, yes. and and uh, a little a little unhinged sometimes, uh, and it's like like very intense. Well, that's a lot. I think that's a lot to do with. I mean, like you said it was derivative of Korean culture, and a lot of when I where I grew up, it was um, there weren't many Asians, but the Asians that were there were, were Korean, mm -hmm. and they were all like. It very strict, very like I remember going over my friends who were Koreans to their house and their mom. It was like it was crazy, you know. It was like when you think about like the Tiger Mom, that whole like uh, uh, stigma. That those were like that's that's really built into Korean culture. Uh, in my experience, and I think most Koreans that I, I've met will will kind of say the same thing, of. Like they would like judge me like you like you what do you mean you don't want to be a doctor like I don't know I'm twelve years old like I, I don't really care about that and like they would chastise me so my friends would obviously get it even more mm -hmm. um, so how did you fall in line with discipline um, uh, did did martial arts help that did it hinder that uh, were you kind of in a, uh, a disciplined kind of environment growing up uh, I would say I was in a pretty much of a disciplined kind of environment um, like I. I grew up in Nepal, and so I went to school for there for a little bit. So I already had that kind of, um, you know, that uh, that kind of environment where hierarchy mattered a lot. I think culturally, um, it matters a lot in my culture and in the schooling system there too. And when I did martial arts, it was all here in New York. Um, I did Taekwondo um, 
near Bushwick um, at a small place and their hierarchy mattered a lot as well. And for me, I guess I always thought of her, I always found that it was important to respect your teacher and that's something I always had learned. So um, when I was doing Taekwondo, I didn't really um, deviate from that. I was very much, you know, very, I just kind of blended in with the type of uh, situation you're talking about, that type of culture. And I guess it didn't really bother me until like, um, until towards the end of my time there, I felt that it was uh, getting a little too intense for me, mm -hmm. and I needed to leave that environment. It was too, um, it, our teacher would always tell us, you know, Taekwondo is the best martial arts <laughs> out there, and he would really uh, talk negatively about students who've left and joined other types of style. Um, and then after a while, that was just a little too much for me. And with Capoeira, I felt so free. It was just really great, um, like you said, very energetic and very creative. And I still got to do some of my favorite kicks and movements from Taekwondo and bring that into Capoeira. So, that was so what was the, what compelled you to, to investigate, I guess, first Taekwondo? Um, I used to watch this anime called Naruto, and there was just something so um, compelling about you know, striving for something and uh, just about being able to push yourself. And I think I was never uh, athletic and I was never fit and I was so very chubby growing up. And um, Taekwondo, in Taekwondo, I guess I went in the mentality that I'm going to work hard like Naruto did in that show and, you know, just keep improving. Um, and I didn't really think I was going to get to black belt. And I think that's why I got into black belt was because I was more focused on the everyday challenges I faced. And at first it was like trying to run 10 laps without going completely out of breath and then um, learning to do the kicks properly. And before I knew it, I got to the end point. But I think for me, it was really just about staying focused. And I saw so much progress in me that kind of drove me to just continuing trying to do more and more and just push my um, body to be able to do even more with like the kicks, like trying to do the tornado kicks and uh, try to reach for my best. Does that speak about a, a, a larger equation about kind of like your personality? I would say so. I think for me, I've always been trying to focus on one thing at a time. And I think that's the best type of thinking I've had so far is that I don't really care about where I end up. It's really about the journey there. Um, and when I fo focus on that, everything kind of falls where it needs to be. Um, whether it's, and in, when you focus on the little things, you, feel, you get a sense of accomplish from, accomplishment from that. And that, that um, motivates me to focus on the next thing and then just continue building that. So, um, where is that, is that, where do you, what is the source that, 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 that informs that? Is that martial arts? Is that growing up in Nepal? Or? Um, I think part of it is like, uh, I started studying Buddhism when I was around seventh grade. 
Like I, I used to have a lot of anxiety problems and I just needed ways to not have anxiety attacks. And so I would start meditating and I read some books and, um, and one of the best advice I got was just like, you know, focus what's in front of you. Um, and I think, now I also got into Hinduism at that point too. Like I was reading the Gita and I think I was slowly becoming religious at that point. I and mean, I think right now I've deviated away from that, but I still hold some of the um, like techniques and some of the thinking still with me, just about, uh, just focus on what's in front of you and the rest, it's, it, you don't focus on the fruit, you focus on the action and the fruit will just come naturally. Were you raised religiously? No, I think I was, I, think I was definitely raised culturally. And, my parents tried to culture me in the Nepali ways, but I think in Nepal, culture and religion kind of mixes together, but we're not really focused religiously as heavily, if that makes sense. So in your household, um, was it more, was it Hindi or was it Buddhism? I would say it's like a fusion of both, really. Um, like we have Buddhist statues throughout my houses, and there's uh, Hindu statues also around my houses. And I think in Hinduism, uh, there's the idea that we accept it, that God has different forms. It doesn't just, it's just one form. And like my grandma likes going to churches. And so. Like Christian churches? Yeah. Oh. yeah. So she, sometimes she's like, I really want to go to a church. And so it's just, I think, um, it's not as um, linear and there's not as much rules in Hinduism versus some of the more Western religions, I think. Yeah, my um, my uh, my mom is Buddhist, mm -hmm. so uh, she actually was the she adopt, she is the opposite. She said, um, "I'm a Buddhist, you're not. But if it's supposed to find you, then it will." Of course, that sounds great, but when I was a kid, I was so confused. I was like, "Well, screw you! I, I don't care about." So I have uh, three older siblings, and so she said, "You know." find your own path and in hindsight I always wonder because I always I always compare of you know certain people most people grow up in a very in a very specific religion right passed down from their parents um, but I, I had the opposite so as a result I have you know like all we all have like these weird different ideologies mm -hmm. um, my eldest brother is a Catholic because he married a Catholic well, not only because, but he married a Catholic, so I think he, you know, he goes to church and things like that. Um, I have another brother that is a uh, a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I mean, very, very religious mm -hmm. to a point where, um, you know, I was home for Thanksgiving, and you know, he was saying like, um, he was talking about Adam and Eve, like it's like scientific. Oof. And then there's me, where I've kind of learned, I, I've approached religion. Um, academically mm -hmm. and it's more culturally and, and you know how are things very similar how are they how are they different um, but I'm I'm still very confused by it all I, I just never was just never a believer and I guess mm -hmm. that was the thing that was lost on me more than any of my siblings um, but I always find that fascinating the differential of you know having like my situation where like, oh, go do whatever you want to. Okay, here's what, here's, here's basically 
here's God, mm -hmm. and here's what you know, here's what He says or she says or whatever. Um, but it sounds like for for what you're saying, you kind of had a fusion of kind of were your parents open to like finding like go find your own path or? Yes, I, I would say so. They always told me to um, respect everyone's religion and that there's things to learn from other people. So they. I think that was something my dad emphasized a lot in our conversations was you'll meet different types of people and they'll all have good ideas to learn from. Um, and I think that's really how I approach uh, different perspectives from my own. And um, So I'm not very rigid with my own ideas because I just, there's just so many possibilities out there and there's just so much to learn from everyone. So I've never been in Nepal. Mm -hmm. How would you describe life in Nepal? Life in Nepal, I think it's very leisurely. Um, but it's, I think people have a lot of free time there, which I think could be a good thing and a bad thing. I think unemployment rate is pretty high. And lots of women don't go to work and they're at house. Um, so I think they have more time to just focus on like creating a culture. And, um, and I think life can be kind of rigid too. Like it, there's a lot of traditions that people have to carry out. And like what? Like, um, like if you are a daughter-in-law, you have so much um, things to do as a daughter-in-law. And I think it can be very burdensome there. Um, like you have to like give um, a birth to a son. You have to oh, like, right. take care of your house household. And so like, and like the firstborn son is like the king like, or the prince. Exactly. Yeah. So there's like a pretty big emphasis on that. Um, and I, I think it's just more rigid in terms of like roles within the society, um, especially when it comes to marriage. There's heavy focus on marriage. And that's something I think about a lot um, because I'm, kind of, I'm approaching that age where my parents start pressuring me to think about marriage. And my parents are really nice. and. They understand that I'm still continuing my education and I still have to get settled. And my parents do want me to be financially independent before I get involved in anyone. Um, but arranged marriage is a big part of the culture. so Oh, it's pretty is that on the table? Is that uh, an option? Uh, yeah, it's an option. And I think it's more of like, um, you kind of get pressured into it. They yeah. tell you it's an option, but there's a lot of pressure for that. Um, and I think... It, for parents who don't get their kids to have an arranged marriage, they feel like they failed, and so it's a lot of pressure from that angle. The so the, the the squealing you hear is her. She's, mm -hmm. She she sounds like a, a bear sometimes. Um, yeah. So I I, I uh, so do you feel and so you said you were you grew up here. You went to high school in New York, right? Yes, so I came here when I was seven, eight years old. Okay. Um, so do you, how do you feel about your experience versus, you know, your, like, like communicating with your, your parents? Like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll qualify that. So like for me, you know, when I think about all the experiences that I had, cause I, you know, we were immigrants too. And I think about, you know, when I was growing up and I thought about like peer pressure and I thought about, you know, uh, drinking or, or, or sexual education I couldn't go to my parents for any of that I was I was embarrassed because I was a kid and I didn't think that like, you know there's no way like I, I so I end up not like sharing much of anything mm -hmm. with with my parents um, so I just kind of 
my childhood looking back was just kind of very lonely but mm-hmm. i got into like the stuff i got into like really like intensely like movies and music and pop culture and sports mm-hmm. and things like that um so i was wondering you know do you you know what is your uh relationship like because you are also like i guess similar to me i don't want to speak for you but you know that's the 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 challenge that i had was you know you well, especially when you're a kid like you don't know my life you've not you didn't live my life well figured emotionally but but quite literally mm-hmm. i mean i felt like they didn't they were not they were not equipped to to really uh be a sounding board because they didn't experience any of these experiences that i was going through definitely um i think for me uh i i can definitely relate to that it's it's not really um easy and i don't think it has been easy trying to communicate with my parents but i also try to be empathetic to their viewpoints and try to understand why they're saying the things they are saying and i just try to um you know i try to be a good person and you know try to be a good daughter so i try to uh do all the things they want me to do so that i make them happy and feel like they're doing a good job raising me but at the same time i still maintain my individuality and i try to communicate in a way like it's it's difficult you know i can and i don't go to them for um a lot of advice and i've had in lots of parts about me to them and and that's something i don't enjoy doing um i don't like lying but um i think growing up as an immigrant you kind of have to like you to kind of figure out who you are and i don't really feel i identify with my culture very much um i try to in it and there are lots of good values that i've learned from it but i i'm i feel like a new yorker i've been here like since third grade and um all my everything i know is here and when i go to nepal i'm a foreigner basically so trying to find that balance is difficult but i just try to communicate the best i can and that's not always easy and sometimes you just don't tell them the truth and for me i just kind of had to learn to accept um sometimes that's just the best way of doing that because mm-hmm. i can't always be living with the fear of my parents and what they think of me and especially now at this stage of my life where i'm really um like i'm having my own life compared to like before i i was a pretty good kid i did everything they wanted me to do and now i feel like i'm not always Now you're doing busting loose. exactly <laughs> so just trying to find that balance is difficult but just look i think sometimes i do have to lie to my parents mm. do you ever wonder and like i was thinking about this the other night do you ever wonder because you know if you were experienced with similar mind how you like kind of hit things or like didn't weren't necessarily open to your parents about certain things do you ever wonder like you know what i could have been a real fuck up i could have been like a drug addict i could have right. been in jail like you like where were you guys you ever think about like i do i think about that right. yeah i um as you, sorry do you mean like um what what they would think about no i mean the sense that like um they think we're like bad already and so no be like be worse. just just it like just kind of a uh, self assessing your own life um kind of because um this is going to sound really bad because i don't want to seem like this is a conversation about oh blaming my parents i'm just saying like because you didn't have that parental parental navigation that and you kind of hit things 
that like, hey, I could have went off the rails. I could have joined a gang, or I, I could have been a criminal, or, or, or I could have gotten like piercings and body tattoos everywhere. Not, not that that's the same thing, but um, I mean, I think about that. I think about like, uh, I mean, that's extreme, mm-hmm. right? But also the extreme in their eyes is like, well, you could also have been an open heart surgeon. You didn't become that. Either. <laughs> yeah, I I think um, it's it's um, I think it, it's sometimes I do think like it's unfair that I couldn't just be part of one culture, right? Like I have to be part of these two different worlds. And it's not like I asked to be brought here, right? They brought me here, and then they have expectations for me to be um, like I was raised there completely. So sometimes I do think about that, you know, maybe it'd be easier if all I had were like Nepali friends and my life would be more uniform, like they wanted me to be. Um, But I also feel like, in a way, it's kind of been a blessing too to um, have had that freedom to, because I feel like I've become my own person versus like what everyone around me is like, because I'm not like everyone around me. And that allows me to be more, find myself really, mm-hmm. and just to go with what the norm is. But yeah. Uh, have, you, have you run into people from, from Nepal in New York? I have, and, um, and especially when I was younger, I ran into, and I tried to join the different Nepali friends cliques, and it just never happened, so I grew up having friends who are like Romanian and Hispanic, and just from all walks of life, um, and, and there's been points in my life where I wished I had Nepali friends and did like Nepali things, and um, but I, I don't have that, but that's... Not a bad thing, necessarily. It's just kind of our life, right? Exactly. I mean, our life kind of, we take a turn here, then we take another turn. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned earlier before about, uh, and like, you know, how you, we were talking about martial arts, but how you're dealing with, sometimes you kind of incorporate that with how you deal with anxiety. So, living in New York, we're faced with a lot of anxious moments. Definitely. You know, when we think about the future, or, or even, like, Presently, you know, mm-hmm. you're waiting for like the subway, for instance, is a, 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 just riddled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, how do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with stress? I, mean, I think every, um, I think you also talked about this in one of the videos about like we all need something to take our edge off, you know, like, and for, for me, I always feel like I'm on edge since I was younger. I always felt I was very anxious and just, I had so much anxiety. I don't know why, I always did. But for me, uh, exercise, martial art was one way of doing, going about it. I used to also meditate. That helped me a lot. Um, but I think anxiety isn't always a bad thing. And I think that's more of the turn. I think now I have a more healthier balance. Um, I, I feel like I've been so anxious for most of my life that at this point I'm pretty numb to most things that would make me anxious, if that makes sense. and. The few things I'm still more anxious about, I think that's, I've sort of accepted that being part of my personality, and I think in some ways, it's not always a bad thing. Like, I'm never late to anywhere because I'm kind of anxious about, like, the trains. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, me too. So yeah. that is, I'm almost never late, and that's a good thing, right? And it keeps me alert, and anxiety is supposed to keep you alive, and you make better choices sometimes. Like, I, 
if I'm not anxious about my workload, then I might just continue procrastinating and just not get anywhere with finishing what I need to do. So um, I've just sort of accepted that's kind of who I am. And when it becomes excessive, I have different ways of handling it, whether it's like working out or sometimes having a drink. Um, that helps me keep myself sane. So you, let's use the, the subway analogy. Um, you're on a... You're on the subway platform, you have to be someplace in 10 minutes, and they just made the announcement that your train's not coming in, until five minutes. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you're projected to be late, unless, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just mounting. And you're, you, you can, you know, it just, you, you can feel like you're, you're just getting hot inside. Like how do you, in that moment, obviously, you know, you, you don't have an opportunity to grab a drink or, right. or uh, to light up or anything. So how do you deal with that moment? Um, at that moment, I just, you, know, you just talk yourself through it. There's not much you can do. You could like uh, try to control what I can, right? Like if, if I have um, internet connection at that point, I'll, or, um, I'll text someone, I'll shoot someone a message, I'm running late, um, and just try, try to breathe and just just kind of accept that's the reality of it. And it's not the end of the world. Like, whatever I'm being late for is probably, you know, it might be like super important, but still it's, if it's not, if it's not something I can control, then there's no point of stressing out about it. And you just, I just try to talk myself out of that. Um, I kind feel like of, I'm good at letting go. Kind of accepting this, like, the reality okay, of so the situation. I'm just gonna be late. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I find that I try to do that too. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's this compulsion. I mean, no matter where you are, right? I mean, I'm like you. I don't like to be late. Mm -hmm. I am like, especially like traveling, you know, especially like taking flights or being on like going, like taking a, a train, not a subway, mm -hmm. but a train train. It's like, I'd rather be like an hour earlier than, than like right on time because exactly. I have the anxiety. Um, but some things may happen and kind of, makes you late whether it's going through security or something like that so i in my mind i'm fl i flip out i'm just like oh my god but what i've learned and you know in this recent trip uh in, in those those moments i just i i really have try to remind myself and like look in this particular moment it may seem like so unbearable but you can try to learn something from this mm -hmm. so just calm down and just try to gain something from this moment right now. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, I've been guilty of this, but I think we, we always try to move forward and, and kind of push past these these moments that we don't like. Mm -hmm. And it's not just moments, not necessarily just waiting for a subway car. It could be, and when I, it could be like, my life is crap. Or, you know, I don't like the town I live in. I don't like the person I'm with or my life is crap, so let's jettison this moment, which is actually your life. And I've met so many people like that who are like, uh, they, they, can't, they can't see, you know, what is really around them now. And I think that's, it's really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, exactly, did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you think cats dream? I think so. Yeah, sometimes they, 
you know, they they make little motions and purr and whatnot. I think they do. So um, basically, what I was what I was saying in a long-winded way was, um, how do you balance the the you know the notion of being here, you know that that kind of Theravadan attitude of let's be here right now, versus you know being ambitious and and and, and you know being career and goal oriented and you know living in New York. I think. Um it's really trying to put a positive spin to the situation. Like you, I think being okay and allowing um, yourself to feel what you're feeling is good, right? You kind of work through it. And sometimes when you work through things, you can get to the end of it, right? Like if you allow yourself to be sad versus escape it, you, if I go, if I spend an entire day in bed just being sad, at some point, I'm going to get tired because I've been, like, sad all day. Then I want to go do something else. So uh, sometimes it's just about feeling what you're feeling and then always just be optimistic. And sometimes you have to push yourself. Pushing yourself is important and it's a good thing. But you also have to allow, you just have to be compassionate towards yourself at that moment and be, you know, okay, you're feeling this way, I'm going to let you feel this way for this certain amount of time, how, take how long you need, and then there's just going to be a, for me, usually there's an end point to that. Um, I don't like staying stagnant. I can't stay stagnant with one emotion for too long, and then it's, um, w once I deal with that sadness, like then I can start to think of it in a more clearer way, and it's, you do definitely have to like push yourself, do a bit of a self-talk mentally that it's time to do the next thing. And you've got to incentivize yourself too. I think that's really important. Uh, finding, and it's usually, sometimes it's hard to see, like especially when you're feeling down, um, to think positively, but it's the little things, right? It's like within the five minutes, what can you incentivize yourself? Mm -hmm to make it through the other next 10 minutes. And you just kind of just break it down. Um, and that's really like how I deal with things. Do you, are you like that with uh, other facets of your life? Like, do you, do you feel like you need to hit the refresh button with your, your life in general? Not necessarily when things are, are bad, you know, just in, in general in your life. Oh, definitely. I definitely need to take, like, down... Like, if I've been around people all week long, I will need, like, good... Maybe an entire day just to process everything that has happened and think about things and just, you know, relax before I can move on to the next thing. I definitely need to, like, refresh myself. Like, I can't... Um, for me, that balance is really important. Like, I, if I'm studying for an exam... I can't just keep doing it, you know, for like days on end without having something else to take a break from. Um, that's really important. And then I need to, and I do definitely need to um, keep myself ener energized for what I'm doing, right? So I have to, like, if I'm getting tired of, uh, right now I'm not doing any form of workout, unfortunately, but when I am, it's, let's say if I'm doing martial arts and I'm kind of feeling a little burnt out, I, I need, Maybe I'll watch a movie or something, or uh, watch something to get me motivated again. Um, I definitely kind of need that kind of constant um, reason to like, keep moving forward. Do you ever take time to just like, eh, I'm not going to do anything? 
Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've been doing that the, this whole last month or so since um, my program ended. I've just been not doing anything in terms of studying and uh, last week I started studying again and I feel more refreshed in order to do that. I felt like I deserved that break and mm -hmm. I, um, I'm going to be doing cybersecurity starting February. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to yeah. ask you off the air, but congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Are you excited? I'm very excited and I'm excited to start studying, but a lot of my uh, classmates who are going to be in the program already started preparing months ago, but for me, I feel like I know myself well and I know that I need this downtime. And mm -hmm. if I don't allow myself to relax, because I had a very intense last year, I was always working hard and being ambitious. I need this time just to do absolutely nothing. And now I'm at that phase where like I'm kind of getting bored of doing nothing. So I've been starting to study again. And, um, and you just have to listen to your body, really, and just try to know yourself the, uh, the best you can. And I know what causes me to fail and what causes me to succeed at this point, because I feel like I failed a lot at different aspects of my life. I've like failed classes in the past, like I failed calculus, like I took it three times before I passed it. So I kind of know myself well enough to know when I can just let it go and relax and when to pick it up again. That's so interesting that, that you have, you're self-aware that, okay, well, I, I, it's not time to do this and it's time to do that. Because I think so many people kind of like, you know, we're, we're all kind of like, we follow the herd. Oh my God, everybody else is studying. I guess, should I, should I be studying too? Uh, everybody else is getting winter jacket. Uh, should I get a winter jacket? Should I get a, a, a Canadian goose jacket? Everybody else is getting one too. I don't want to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that you can say like, nope, I'm fine. I'll, I'll do it when I need to do it and I don't need to do it right now. And I think that is kind of like, I mean, it takes people... Some people don't even get that, but mm -hmm. it, if you get that, and you can apply that to so many other facets of your life, and I, I, so I've been thinking a lot about like this of you know people's journey and you know what makes people ambitious and 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 happiness and and things like that, and um, you know I, I I know a couple and they're going through this really awful divorce mm -hmm. they're married and they're going through a divorce and I think New York has this weird stipulation that you need to be separated for a certain amount of time before you can actually get the divorce and it's a weird thing for me because I'm friends with both of them mm -hmm. but I'm I see their lives like they're they're kind of separate like they're they're their lives are not they're not just like fighting all the time anymore but they're starting to really you know put the foot on the gas and start to move the vehicles in different directions and to me it's like were you maybe you had to go through this horrible experience to understand you know what makes you happy mm -hmm. you know what what um what what to be honest with yourself you know and i think i, I guess going back to your to your statement of making an assessment of, look, I'm going to be honest with myself. You know, I don't need to study right now. Exactly. How'd you get to that point? How'd Most people that? never get to that point in their life. I, th I think it's just a lot about, um, I feel like I went through a lot just growing up and I've been in like really horrible situations in the past. And I think kind of picking myself up 
from uh, like when you fail in life or when life goes horribly wrong or you're in a really bad situation, um, it can be a blessing in disguise and doesn't feel like that at that moment, right? Everything's kind of going really bad, but um, I feel like for me, when things has gone really bad, I've still been kind of uh, good to myself. I've been compassionate and I have always tried to figure out why things has happened. I've spent a lot of time just thinking about where I um, want to be in terms of like you know who I am and like just growing up with that anxiety and having anxiety attacks at like sixth, seventh grade. I think that really forced me to really learn about myself and like my mental health and uh, just understand myself better. But I think in life, like it's all the, not, it's not the good things that it, that has happened to me that has allowed me to think that way, but it's like all the bad things. And then knowing that I'll be okay at the end of the day. And then um, when lots of bad things happen to you, I feel like you kind of become a little apathetic towards certain things in life and you kind of see things in a different perspective you mm -hmm. see and it's like what could be the worst thing that can happen right and when you have that kind of attitude sometimes that's a good thing because you don't I don't feel like I get triggered by the little things in life anymore um, which allows me to like be calm and just appreciate the positive aspects of life because I know life could be worst and life could be you know dangerous life could be Bad, but it's not and I think I'm thankful for that and I and I think that allows me to just stay calm and just you know just focus on knowing myself better and um, knowing like that's really what I can control at the end of the day like I can't control what happens to me or what happens around me, but I can control like how I react to it and I think the best thing I've learned in life is like being able to control my reaction and um, being positive and being good to myself and just trying to better myself and know myself better. Uh, I don't know if that before we before we um, we uh, we start we started recording. Um, you were mentioning something. I I cut you off, but you were mentioning something about um, uh, the the salon was was uh, was closing. Mm -hmm. um, and you said, "Oh, I I want to get into that." So um, I have questions about that, but um, so. Uh, I guess my initial question would be, so why 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 um, why is the shop closing? Why is the shop? Well, the rent is super high, and I think my mom's also very tired from working um, in the salon business for such a long time, and like I, I'm exhausted from it too. Um, and at this point, it's not something we want to continue doing. Um, and pe the people you meet interesting people there. So it's a little bittersweet, but I think mostly it's, it comes as a relief. So how has that been in terms of like uh, just in a communication, kind of interacting with people experience? Uh, it's been very interesting and uh, very difficult too, because um, I, I actually do the nails myself as well, um, and so you do when your I, own? I, I do the customers. Can you do your own? I, one of my hand, not the other <laughs> hand. That's usually the problem. Um, that's why we have salons. Uh, but I think for me, it's always been difficult because I feel like I always connect to people, and whether it's, and I feel very invested. Like I'm very invested, and um, when I'm doing people's nails, I'm sitting with them for maybe an hour, 
and I'm face to face with them and they talk to me and sometimes uh, you know they're they treat me well and sometimes they don't sometimes maybe they're having a bad day and they'll get cranky and sometimes like little things stuff people bother just put them. in the headphones while you're working some people do too yeah. some people do and sometimes I wish I could do that too <laughs> many times I actually noticed like I like putting the face mask on not because I care about the fumes or whatnot but it's more that sometimes I don't want to have that kind of connection with people right you're kind of wanna... putting up like a barrier exactly yeah. I kind of want to be like an inanimate object or something and I don't want to be a person at that moment so for me it's been very interesting I met really amazing people throughout my time there I've built, I've built relationships with many customers um, and I've got gotten to know about their lives and they've gotten to know about me and then there's just been customers I never want to see again and but you it's it's just an incredible experience just being able to interact with so many people over the years. How often do people, get their like a, a woman would get like her, presumably a woman, mm -hmm. will get their, uh, her nails, like how often, I would how regularly? Say, I would say two weeks. Uh, every two weeks is usually the norm. Someone who likes to get it done. Um, some people like to get it like every week. Um, so you get it to see them quite frequently. And what is your busy times? Busy times, I would say Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, so the weekends. Yeah, I've like on the uh, twilight, like in the beginning of the evening, on like a Friday and Saturday. Oh, yeah. I like. It's all booked. Yeah, everybody. I guess it's just I guess for obvious reasons, right? They're yeah. going out. And uh -huh. they're gonna... yeah, look the nails did. So you get guys too. Yeah, we get guys. So what's that like? Guys, I think. In my experience, guys have been easier to deal with versus women. Um, I for the most part, they they're less picky about things and. I mean, they're just getting the cleaning, right? They're not actually getting exactly. the well, color. Well, actually, uh, some guys do get color. Um, like we hang a gay flag in our salon. We try to be welcoming to everyone. Mm -hmm. We're located in the Greenwich Village, so. Um, from like a marketing standpoint, it's also like a good decision and that was like my idea and I think um, so it, So we get like all kinds of people which is fun um, and But yeah guys just tend to not be as fussy about things I notice um, yeah. So uh, Generally speaking do people are, are people Too talkative are they usually kind of zit, like don't want or I guess it just depends on the person right you could probably size them up pretty quickly what, what they're gonna be like oh yeah definitely the moment they walk in I already know how the next hour is gonna look like <laughs> it's very it's really funny because I always try to never stereotype anyone but after working at the salon so long and I said stereotype not by like races or anything but like by personality types sure it could be in, like a handbag or something right not even that it's really how they communicate really that's usually the biggest indicator of how they're going to be um, and if they're already like fussy about like not they're not being enough colors or if like the if it's too cold if the AC is on if they're already complaining you know it's not going to be and then there's like certain questions they'll ask like um, you know what are like uh, it's after a while you kind of get you know how it's gonna be but most people I would say are quiet um, and they expect us I guess in the salon business you don't get a lot of English speaking right workers, so when they so. meet 
So my sister-in-law, mm -hmm. she has a nail salon in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm kind of, I mean, that's just as a as an outsider, I've seen her work. And, uh -huh. um, the staff, is it all, who, who, who makes up the staff? Is it from a same ethnic group or? Yep, uh, right now, uh, everyone there is Nepali, but before we used to have a mix of different people. So when somebody sits down, are they are they a little surprised of how educated you are? I think they are, and sometimes I try to not mention it, and sometimes I do. And um, yes, I'm, I feel like people generally tip me better than other people just because I can like communicate with them better. Um, but I also try to not. Yeah, they do. I, I feel like they start treating me a little differently once they figure out that I'm pretty educated. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. Because it's like, I, I want them to treat me, I feel like every, they should just treat everyone nice, right? Sure. Um, so. We can't control how people behave, right? Exactly. So I think, okay, so I'm just trying to put myself in, in, a, in their shoes. I think, um... You know, like my sister-in-law's shop, it's people who can barely speak English. Mm -hmm. And I think if I was in that situation and I'm used and I'm accustomed to that, and so whatever it may, my interactions may be with that person, uh, or, and then I meet you and you're the complete opposite, and you may remind me of somebody that I know or whatever, and also you have your own personality, I think that must be very surprising to a lot of um, people, a lot of women or people Definitely. or whatever. And I think they do get shocked. And especially if like they're not having, if they're like kind of mean from the beginning and then they have to interact with me, I think they get almost offended by the fact that, you know, I'll, um, I won't get defensive, but I won't, I'm not going to be very submissive to them as I think they were expecting me to be. And I feel like that kind of heats up really quickly, quicker than it would with other people. Because I'm not, if they're being extremely unreasonable and just, just nasty throughout, I'm not going to, you know, just keep apologizing to them or, I don't know, whatever their expectations of me is. And so that's also something that has come up to me. Like, I've had pretty, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Like if if they're just being awful about it, I'm gonna say something. What's the ratio of people who are like nice. good experiences versus people who are kind of like them like ugh? I would say ninety percent everyone's nice, you know, okay, and the ten percent I would say is, but then the ten percent kind of it kind of causes so, so much commotion and so much like it's so mentally draining, and I for me that's really hard because like, I'm I get really invested in. Like being there because it's my mom's salon, so uh -huh. I care about a lot through like um, through everything. So it's very draining for me. And you know the people you work with, right? Exactly. So and and everybody's friendly and yeah, they're all very nice. Um, but it, it's I think management is also kind of difficult managing people. Yeah, it, it's their it's not their mom's salon, so it's it, sometimes they get like super chatty and everyone's talking in Nepali, and my mom will join in, and sometimes I have to like tell my mom like, you know, come on. Like, yeah, my so my well, she'll never listen to so woman. Mm -hmm. So my sister in law 
was saying, like, for hers, like, they have, like, this little, just a little, like, a shower curtain that's probably the size of, like, where you're sitting. Uh-huh. And they have, like, this, like, that's, like, their break room. That's and it's, it. like, the rice cooker and, uh-huh. like, a little, like, college like, refrigerator that's, uh-huh. like, you know, comes up to your knee. And then, like, she was saying that, like, they were, make, they were eating, like, fish and had, like, oh the rice God. coming up. And she was like, what the hell are you guys doing? This is, like... It's not a door. It's just a curtain. Like, everybody can smell this. And they're, they're like, they're basically like, oh, we're going to do whatever we want. This is our food. She's like, Ugh. so I got the impression from her was that it was the people she worked with that were more of the pain mm-hmm. than the customers. I would say it's a mix of both. <laughs> Definitely it's a mix of both. Because I also want, always try to, I want a sense of order. Right? I want, I have a vision of how the salon should be. But, it, it, like, no one can enforce that. Like, especially when you're dealing with, um, it, right now, everyone's Nepali and they're older than me, so they don't want to listen to me. And even my mom, like, she kind of treats them very nice and, like, they're all friendly and she's not very boss-like. And so I feel like we have had just chaos in our salon. And sometimes, like, I wonder why people even could show up. Like, I've had moments, because like, that fish thing, like, we have had... I've had so much issues with it, and like I feel like they get offended when I like open the door and I put some air freshener out, <laughs> and, and it's not like you know you continue eating and you could like at that point like I, I've never, I think I've only mentioned once or twice and it just didn't turn out too well, and then they're all complaining to my mom that I told them, like you know the smell is and Nepali food is like very strong curry, so it, uh, uh, it's like, in, like Indian, almost? yeah, yeah, very similar. So just, you know, it's just straight up curry. And I would say even more so um, pugnant than Indian food. Um, almost like kimchi kind of. So I don't know how to describe it. What, what are some, some questions that you have to feel when people, uh, when it comes to a conversation that you're from Nepal? Some questions I get about me being... Um, um, okay, I'll go first. So when people, I say I'm from Vietnam, people uh-huh. typically say... Will you ever go back? Oh, yeah, so I, I get, get that. that. Which, that's not so bad. But, you know, for a while it was under a communist regime, so I couldn't. But now it's like a big big vacation spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, who was at my party, I think he is in Vietnam right now. So I am a little envious. I, no, chance of, I, 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 haven't, I personally have not gone back. And I don't want to get into it with people mm-hmm. because to me it's kind of like an emotional thing. Like, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm, my family's a refugee, so... Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the war, we'd probably still be there. There's that, and there's also like it would it would it would be I I'd, it'd be I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'll, like when that would ever happen. Obviously, I don't want to unpack all that to somebody who's like, "Hey, you ever been?" I usually just go, "No." <laughs> um, so, what what are some things that you usually encounter? I've definitely gotten that question, and I think from their perspective, I have a feeling that they assume I'm undocumented. And that's why I'm working at the nail salon. So that's usually, oh, you know, can you go back? Or you know, have you gone back? And I think that's there. And then I'm like, yeah, I was there in January. And then they had this like relief sigh in their head because I think they think, well, she can speak English. She probably grew up here. She probably is undocumented. So I think I get that feeling a lot from people. Oh. Um, yeah. What else do I get? I guess they like ask me how it's back there and do I have family back there they ask um, and I think some people like to be like very careful too about what they're asking and it's 
Yeah, usually when I tell them, like, you know, I've been, and then they ask how long have I been here, and then I tell them, since seven or eight, I'll just, they're like, oh, you're practically a New Yorker, and that's usually how the conversation goes. Right. Uh, so how do you feel about that? When See, for me, I feel like, so for me, because the way I look, the way I sound, I, I never, people never assume, they always assume I was born here. Mm-hmm. So they always say, like, where are your parents from? Mm-hmm. I, that irks me a little. Because it's like you're already making assumption, an assumption, and your questions are already going to be kind of negative anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so they automatically assume that I was that I was born here, that there's that I I didn't I was not born in another country. So when I say I came here when I was very young, I came mm-hmm. here when I was like two years old, and then they they hit they do what what you just said, and like oh well you're you're practically American. So then. In my mind, I, I, I think like, okay, so now, like now what box have you put me in? Because right. like before you saw me as like this like exotic Asian maybe. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, where's he from? And then you, now you've seen the way I, how I dress, the way I talk. I told you that I've been here for like practically my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then you've released this statement of like, oh, well, you're all, well, you're kind of, you're pretty much American. So I'm like. For me, I, I never vocal. I never obviously. I don't want to get into confrontation, mm-hmm. but it, there's there's a part of me that always just says like, well, "What does that mean? Right. What does that mean for? I know what it means for me because I know my life. But mm-hmm. what does that mean for you? What, what, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so what 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 box have you put me in now? It's always a tricky thing for me. Yeah, I feel like people are always trying to see. They have like these schemas in their head of like what people should be and. They try to, I guess, make sense, like try to put everyone in a box. Right. And I think that's when they feel like calm. And if you, know, you, know what? you don't fit there. For me, it it's always comes up to food. Mm. So that, so the thing of like, oh, how long have you ever been back? And another thing they like, pe- people like to say, and again, I, don't, I, I know it comes off like I'm complaining, I'm not. But it's like, they'll come up, they'll start rattling off like every Vietnamese dish that mm-hmm. they've ever had in their life. And I'm just like... You know, I, I don't know how familiar I am with Vietnamese food. So pho is our, you know, mm-hmm. it's the big soup. And then there's banh mi, which is mm-hmm. kind of like a, you know, like a famous sandwich that we have. And I'm like, so I just kind of grin and bear it. Because it, you always have to judge based on, on the intent. So if they're excited or they're being sincere, I'm not going to, I'll never be offended or anything like that if they're being sincere. I mean, you know, they are ignorant, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I, there, there's a part of me that just wants to say, like, so if you say you're from uh, Texas, am I supposed to say, like, oh, my God, steak? Uh, I mean, there's more to you than just that, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, uh, there's, there, it's just so funny how people like to create these boxes mm-hmm. for other people so they can say, like, oh, okay, so you're this, this, and this, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, how does, uh, you know, friends or relatives or people that, you know, that that have framed you in the traditional kind of lens, uh, what's their perception of you uh, delving into technology, becoming, a, 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 you know, getting into, you know, the, the, the corporate world, you know, and, and, and working in Manhattan, things like what What's their opinion on that? Um, I guess they kind of, hmm, I guess it's, a lot of Nepali people do go into IT, 
Oh, they like, do? Oh. I feel like, yeah, especially here, um, and I think it depends really who, there's a lot of Nepali students, international students who come here, and I feel like they generally tend to study IT from what I've seen. Um, but, yeah, I think people who know me kind of know that I'm kind of weird and I just do whatever I want. And I think, uh, for, I think for some people it's, um, like, I, so initially, you know, I'm put in that box too, like people have these, and then after a while they realize like I kind of don't fit in those box and they either like accept me or just think I'm really weird and they kind of disappear out of my life. Um, but the people who surround me have been generally supportive, like my parents are very supportive of this choice and I, I and I think some people might just see like, you know, I'm Asian, like I'm going to go into IT and I get the, that's how they kind of see it as. and. For me, it's more like this is something I tried and I realized I enjoy it and that's why I'm doing it. Um, so I think people always have like these different ideas. And some people, um, I've noticed that growing up, not everyone's as supportive and they'll kind of see, well, what does that mean for me, right? What does, in terms of them, um, like some of my friends who kind of dropped out of college, like they don't really like hearing about like the things I'm doing and. So it's kind of difficult sometimes to talk about successes with people and I try not to really talk too much about it, about what I'm learning. And even though I'm super excited about this, I tend to just kind of uh, downplay it or not sound as excited because some people are still trying to figure out what they want to do and I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah. Some people like to live in comparison to others. and. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people in my life who are like that, who are always kind of comparing themselves to the people around them. And so I try to not trigger them um, and try to find more friends who, you know, support me and I support them. And like, that's how it should be. But it's not always yeah. that easy. Um, so uh, you, you've, you've heard a few of these episodes, so you know what I'm about to ask. So if you had a, a time machine and you can go back... Uh, let's say to the the uh, the eighteen year old version of you. Mm -hmm. What would you tell that person? Um, I would just tell myself to just keep doing what you're doing. It's gonna you know just keep doing what you're doing, and everything's gonna be all right. Um, I I wouldn't change anything if I could go back in time. Uh, when I was 18, I was doing the nonprofit thing to raise money for Nepal, and I had like big ambitious plans, and I wanted to, like was talking to everyone. I was networking like crazy, and uh, and a lot of things went wrong, but I'm kind of happy it did. And, and with the company or with you? With both, um, <laughs> and I think there's nothing wrong with that because I am who I am today because of all those experiences, all the bad and the good combined. And I think things in life happen for a reason, and it doesn't go as planned, and it's all right. You know, that's all part of living. I I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I, um, yeah, it's all part of. It's a whole part. Uh, you, that the only way we can learn is if we. Uh, go through challenges and difficult uh, situations. Otherwise, if everything is given to us, then we're not learning anything. I remember going to college with um, 
this a friend of mine and he was he was super rich he was a nice guy he didn't really flaunt it that much mm -hmm. but we were in the dorm and i he he was kind of he was embarrassed he said I, can you show me how to wash clothes i've never never done this before so i did I, it's fine i mean i actually it's fine whatever we're only like we're 17 18 years old or whatever so i showed him like okay you put your detergent in here if you want to get really super fancy you separate the whites you don't have to i mean um, so you can let the water run, you know, put the detergent in or whatever. And so he just said at the next day, he was like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not doing it. So he would drop off his clothes at a dry cleaner as a college student living in a dorm. He would just drop off his clothes and he was just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm not doing that. The reason that doesn't make him a bad person, but that means that like he faced something that was difficult mm -hmm. and he just said, I'm not going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And obviously he had the finances to go somewhere else. Maybe we've done that to some degree in our lives. Mm -hmm. But my point is, if he took the time to learn how to wash his own clothes, then he would be able to wash his own clothes. I don't know what he's doing now. Maybe he, does, maybe he is washing, finally he's washing his clothes. But he never learned it. He never went through that difficult part of, oh my God, am I doing this right? I'm putting up detergent. I have to wait around to do this. He, didn't, he never experienced that. Mm -hmm. And so... He never got that skill. Okay, next question. What is happiness to you right now? Happiness to me right now is uh, having a balance and um, just continuously learning about myself and trying to just you know, be nice to everyone and doing, uh, I don't know what my morals are, but whatever they are, kind of sticking to, well, just about like, Doing the right thing at a moment, I think. Um, I'm not quite sure what happiness to me is, but I, I feel relatively content. Like I watch like watching comedy, so hopefully I'll like what what, what love comedy would you recommend? So like I, I watch South Park and <laughs> Family Guy, and I like watching stand-up comedy. Any of them on Netflix. Um, and I, I like watching, like, I like Borat a lot, too, like the Shasha <laughs> movies. I, I, I like all kinds of comedy, and for me, just laughing a lot and having a good time and also doing things that makes me feel like I'm pushing myself to grow, but also just being content with where I am and being thankful for everything I have. And I think that's what happiness is for me. Great. Um... Well, Nikki, thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you so much. I hope this was fun. This is great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, this was uh, this was amazing. I, uh, um, you know, I, I knew you were a kindred spirit the, the moment I met you, and so I'm glad that you know, um, you know, through a lot of twists and turns, that uh, we've become friends. Yeah. So I, that's what makes me happy, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you. So, sweet listeners, uh, thank you for listening. As I always say, you're a part of this conversation too. You're just on the quiet side. Uh, Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world. Thank you.